Amen. Well, question for you. What are you thankful for today? Um, I just want you to think about that. So last week, as a reminder, um, I preached a sermon on thankfulness, and uh, I challenged us that the Scriptures teach that thankfulness is actually a gateway to encountering God. And so if you learn to be a thankful, grateful person and you express that to God, um, it's like a doorway into an encounter or an experience with God. And so maybe you didn't, uh, maybe you didn't start being thankful intentionally every day, um, but it's not too late. You could start now. So uh, I just want to encourage you this year um, to, to take some time every day throughout 2022 and just tell God something that you're thankful for. Um, even this week, so I was talking earlier about the email I sent out and some of the things that um, we're doing as a congregation. Um, I did not feel thankful this week when I was like seeing some of the announcements about what was going on in Ontario. Um, I felt frustrated. Um, I felt a bit judgmental. I felt there's all kinds of feelings. And it was one of those days where I was like, you know, I just challenged our whole church with being thankful uh, to God. And so <clears throat> it was one of those uh, moments in my life where I was like, okay, I'm going to put this into practice. And I just began to thank God um, for the things that I could thank Him for. And it does something to your soul. And so I just want to encourage you every day throughout 2022 to be thankful. And this, this sermon today is, is a follow-up to that. And so it has to do with, with our thinking. Okay, so... Uh, being a thankful person, it's, it's all about changing your, your perspective, like changing the things that you say, that you speak out, that you talk to God about. And I even said last week, and I want to reiterate, uh, being a thankful person doesn't mean you don't express anger, doesn't mean you don't express frustration, it doesn't mean you don't express hurt. Um, being a thankful person doesn't mean you put on a mask and pretend things are okay. It's okay to express those things. It's okay to vent to God. Actually, God tells us to do that. Um, but being thankful is also a choice to, to say, in the midst of all of that, I'm still going to be grateful to God for who He is, for what He's done in my life, for what He's doing. And uh, so I just want to encourage you with that. And today is a, it's a follow-up to that. It's a part two. And uh, there, there should be a quote up on the screen. And I just want to say, before I um, jump in, we're going to look at Psalm 77. Um, Eugene Peterson, he's, he's most known for uh, translating the Bible into the message version. Um, and so that's what he's most known for. What people don't know him for a lot is he's written tons of books um, talking about the scriptures and meditating on the scriptures. And um, I read a chapter out of a book um, that he wrote recently about Psalm chapter 77, and I want to take some of what he taught in that and teach it today because I believe there's a lot um, that we can learn about um, kind of changing our inner thinking, and you'll see what I mean by that. But there's a, a quote from Peterson on, on the screen, and I just want you to, to think about this for a second. But self-pity almost always deals with accurate facts, okay? So self-pity, feeling bad for yourself, every time you and I give into self-pity, there are accurate things that we're thinking about. It's, there's truth a lot of times to what we're thinking about that's making us feel bad for ourselves. I was uh, thinking about a story. I went skiing with my son Malachi last night. Um, they have, at Loch Lomond, they have these like $20 after dark deals. 
Um, and so that was fun. So anyways, I was telling Malachi a little bit about one of the first times I went skiing. And I was probably Malachi's age. I was like 14 or 15 years old. And my youth group um, went on this like ski trip. And so I lived in New Brunswick at the time. And so it was an hour away. And I think we stayed in a hotel. Um, and the, it was called Poli Mountain. But I had never skied before. And I didn't have very many friends in youth group. Uh, I actually was not a very popular kid growing up. There was a lot of times where I just felt lonely. Uh, and so anyway, uh, I remember being on this ski trip. And nobody wanted to hang out with me because I didn't know how to ski. So it's pretty lame to go and be with somebody who just can't keep up. Uh, Malachi feels that way sometimes when he's down the hill, like in half the time <laughs> than I am. Um, but so it's pretty lame uh, trying to like, you know, have to wait for somebody. And so I remember like having nobody to go ski with or whatever and feeling like, oh, I feel like a, a little bit of a loser. And I was going up the chairlift on, on one of these trips and I sat by this elderly woman. And, and the chairlift is like probably a five or six minute ride. And on the way up, she's asking me questions. And she learned that like this poor 14-year-old kid, he's here with his youth group and nobody's hanging out with him because he doesn't know how to ski. So she felt bad for me. She took pity on me. And she spent hours with me teaching me to ski. And I remember like we're going down the mountain and she would, she would go partway down and then she'd wait and she'd t she would teach me how to like zigzag and how to carve and all this stuff. And we spent hours together. But in that moment, like, I actually felt some self-pity because I was thinking about things that were true, like, I'm not very good on skis, and nobody really wants to hang out with me. And so those things were actually true. It was self-pity that I was giving into. Um, and God actually turned that situation around for, for good. Like, that lady was a real blessing, and she taught me how to ski, and it was really cool. Um, but there was things about that day that were true that made me feel a little bit bad about myself. And I just want you to think about how self-pity almost always deals with accurate facts. And I want you to think about in your own life times, and you're going to see why I'm setting this up. We're going to read Psalm 77, and you're going to see uh, a really good example of self-pity and the effect it has on our lives. But I just want you to think about in your own life, do you give in to thoughts like, I don't have as much money as so-and-so. I don't have as nice of a house as so-and-so. My kids don't respect me like so-and-so's kids respect me. I don't have as many friends as... I'm, I, don't have as uh, I don't have good health like so-and-so. I don't have much time for rest and relaxation like so-and-so. My marriage is not as good as so-and-so. Do you ever have thoughts that come into your mind like that, where you, you, you talk about in your, I'm not saying you're talking out loud, but in, in, inside your own mind and heart where you're doing some self-talk and you're talking about some things that are true and they just make you feel horrible inside, this like self-talk, the story that we tell in our own minds and hearts. Do, do you ever do that? Like are those some of the, and maybe there's some thoughts I didn't mention that you have, right? But what I would say is that self-pity I agree with Eugene Peterson in this. It always deals with accurate facts, but it puts our focus in the wrong place. Philippians 4, verse 8, uh, says this, and I want to read this before we go to Psalm chapter 77. Philippians 4, verse 8, and you'll see this. We've, we've talked about this before. It says, uh, the Apostle Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So Paul, okay, he's challenging us. He's saying, you know, there's all kinds of things you can spend your time thinking about and dwelling on that will actually bring destruction to your life or to bring you to a place of self-pity. Like there's all kinds of things that, that you can dwell on that will have a negative impact on your life. What Paul was saying, and prior to saying this, he actually says rejoice in the Lord always. So he would say, for us that are in the middle of a, a pandemic, he would say rejoice in the Lord in the middle of that. To believers like he was talking to that were facing intense persecution, he would say rejoice in the Lord in the midst of that. To people that were, were battling financial difficulties, Paul would say rejoice in the Lord. He's not saying, you know, to, to put on a mask and fake it and pretend everything's okay. You know, it, the scriptures tell us over and over to be real. But in the midst of the difficulties and the challenges, to actually intentionally rejoice. Okay, so he says that before, he, before verse 8. And then verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And so he's, he's saying some, this is deeper than just what we do with our mouth and what we say out loud. He's talking about what goes on in our mind and in our heart. He's saying, like, think about things that are good, that are worthy of praise. Like, let that be what you dwell on for the most part. Let it be the background music in your mind. You know, when, when you don't have something else to focus on, that's what you go back to. That's what you listen to. That's what you meditate on. That's what Paul is saying. And uh, the, the, the prayer book of the Christians uh, for centuries, for millennia, has always been uh, the Psalms. And today, I want to look at Psalm chapter 77, and um, you're going to see why. So uh, I don't know how you read Scripture, and if you take time to really think about the people God was writing through and the people that God was inspiring the Scriptures through, um, but Psalm 77 as we read this, I want you to notice there's 20 verses, okay? And in the first 10 verses of Psalm 77, the, the psalmist, the prayer, was filled with self-pity. Lots of self-pity, okay? And then there's a shift that happens. And in the second half of Psalm 77, uh, this prayer, this, this person that's calling out to God, shifts what he's thinking about, what he's meditating on, and something changes in the atmosphere. What I love about the Psalms is that these are real people like you and I that were trying to figure out how to live their lives and still honor God. They, they, they were people that experienced some of the same things that you and I have experienced. You know, whether it was loss of a loved one or somebody that they really were close to going through an incredibly difficult time and they felt powerless to help, financial difficulty, marital difficulty, Maybe they went skiing and felt like they were all alone. Probably not. <laughs> I don't think that happened 3,000 years ago. Um, but they, but they, they wrestled through things. And so in the first half of this psalm, you're going to see somebody that's calling out to God, and they're filled with just this self-pity, this moaning and groaning. And then there's a shift. And what I want to talk about today is the shift. And, um, and what I want you to be uh, thinking about is the story that you tell yourself, the story that goes on in your head. Because the, the challenge I want to bring to us today is that we would start to tell the right story in our head. 
There's all kinds of things that, that, that we can tell that are true, okay? So to go back to, go back to what I was saying earlier, you, there's all kinds of events and things that, that are true, but they're not necessarily beneficial for us to have playing in our minds all the time. So today what I want to talk about is telling the right story. And this is a theme that's carried throughout all of Scripture, and God is concerned with you and I that we tell the right uh, story. So I'm going to pray and then uh, we'll read Psalm 77. And what I'm praying is just that the Lord will speak to you um, through this. I don't want to be, I don't want to get in the way of what God wants to say. Uh, so my, my prayer today, and I encourage you to just have your, open, your heart open to it, is that the Lord would speak some things to you um, that I believe could be life-changing uh, if, if we put this into practice. And so let's, let's pray and ask the Lord to speak. Lord, uh, I just want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for how you speak to us. And I just pray, Lord, that as we read your word this morning, we would hear your voice. And Lord, that um, you put this message on my heart and uh, I'm speaking this out, but I, I, I just desire, Lord, that we would hear you speaking into our hearts. Only you can see into every situation that's represented here in this room and those that are, are tuning in online. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would speak you would have your way, and uh, you would do a, a change work in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So notice as we read Psalm 77, the shift, okay? Uh, it'll be up on the screen. I'm reading from the ESV this morning because um, there's some wording in here that um, is, is really important to how it was translated. And uh, so just notice, notice some of the, the, the wording and the shift that happens in the second half of this psalm. First one says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. You don't expect to hear that in church, do you? When I remember God, I moan. Like, oh. like Have you ever felt that way? Because if you did, you probably didn't feel like bragging about it at church, Right? You probably like, if you thought of God and moaned, you probably weren't like, I'm going to come and tell my church friends that when I think of God, I moan. Well, this guy is just being super honest. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Like, this is pretty raw, real stuff. This prayer, this psalmist, this person offering this prayer to God, he's, when, I rem- when I meditate, my spirit faints. Doesn't sound very encouraging. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. It's likely here that the psalmist, this person praying, is actually blaming God for their lack of an ability to sleep. So this person is experiencing sleeplessness, and, and they're moaning, they're groaning, they think of God, and they're upset, and then, and then they're blaming God. They're like, you hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled I cannot speak. God, even when I'm trying to sleep, you're keeping me awake. Right? So this person is just, they're grieving, they're lamenting, they're crying out to God. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? So this person's living through a time of just darkness where they feel like God is spurning them, where he's not favorable towards them. And he's asking the question, the very honest and real question, is God going to be like this forever? Is he just going to be silent forever? Is he, is he not going to respond to my prayers? Is he not going to encourage me? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? 
Like, I, I don't know about you, but I, like these verses in the scriptures encourage me because what it shows me is that God actually desires to have a real relationship with you and I. That these kinds of prayers were prayers that people have prayed for centuries, for millennia, and they went to God with their honest uh, wrestlings and their honest feelings. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? And if you notice, depending on the, the Bible you have, there's, there's a word, selah, here after that, which just says, pause, stop, meditate. A lot of times when, when I find the word selah, I think, oh, this is something God really wants me to meditate on, to think about. But here it says, it's this question that sounds really doubtful. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Has he stopped being compassionate? And then it says, selah, pause, think, right? It's a, it's a, it's a real, honest, tough question. And then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. And then listen to this shift <clears throat> in the second half of the psalm. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your, right, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah, think, meditate, pause. God, you have set your people free. We, we tell those stories. We talk about what you did in, in opening the sea so that the, the people of Israel could, could pass through. We, we saw you deliver your people. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And so you can see the shift. So uh, this psalmist starts out the psalm, and there's all kinds of real feelings that probably, if we're honest, some of us have felt. You know, God, are you not compassionate anymore? Where are you in the middle of my difficulty, in the middle of my trial? And, and, and like I was saying at the beginning, like that quote from Eugene Peterson, self-pity deals with facts that are actually true. You know, there's lots of things that you and I could point to in our lives that are actually true, that we could think about all the time, that would actually make us feel more discouraged. There's, like, there's things that you, you wrestle with, that you go through, that you feel bad about, and, 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 and there's no way to say, oh, those things are untrue. Like, you can actually point to some things that are true. But what happened here, the psalmist, the shift that took place was that he, he focused not on all of the, the negatives for the whole, the whole prayer. Like, he actually shifted his focus and started thinking about things that were different. And that's what I believe that God wants for you and I to do is that it's, it's not that we don't, we're not real, that we, we put on uh, a mask, even, even though we do. You know, it's so funny being alive in these days because growing up for me, whenever I thought about a mask, I thought about like putting something fake on and hiding who I really am. And in, since 2020, um, it, is, it is a little different when we mention a mask. When I'm talking about a mask, I'm talking about <clears throat> um, not being real and pretending to be something that you're not. But you see what happens here is that uh, the, the person that's praying shifts their focus. And this is what I want to challenge you with, and I, and I mentioned that I've, uh, I read this chapter from Eugene Peterson where he did, uh, he kind of dug deep into Psalm 77 
And, and what he pointed out that I think was uh, probably one of the most insightful things I've, I've seen, um, I'm going to put this up on the screen. I want you to notice here, if you can see that, and hopefully if you're online, you can see it. Um, but in verses 3 through 5, this person, as they're praying, they say, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. And then jumping down, I consider the days of old, the years of long ago. In this uh, moment of their life, they're in a place of just darkness, um, self-pity, maybe depression. The verbs, this is what's key, okay? The verbs don't change. So in verses 11 and 12, he shifts. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder, another word for consider, all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Do you notice that the verbs are the same? Remember, meditate, ponder is a, is a synonym of consider. Like all of the verbs stay the same. And so I think we could probably all agree that meditating is a good thing. You know, the scriptures tell us all the time to meditate on God. You know, remembering, pondering, that's all, those are actions. Those are things that we do. But what shifts here isn't the action, it's what is being thought about. Okay, so in the first half of Psalm 77, this, this prayer is focusing on the negatives, is, is focusing on, you know, the, the times in his life where he's seeing God not come through, where he's seeing negative or bad things happen. That's, that's the focus, and there's this heaviness there, there's this self-pity um, that he's given into. But then when things shift, it's not that he, he, he doesn't stop remembering and meditating. He continues doing that, but his focus shifts to start thinking and meditating on the amazing things of God. And what I want to encourage you and I to do, I believe all of us can put this into practice. There's a lesson for us to be, uh, to be learned here by us, that there are some things that God wants you and I to think about that are going to be life-changing for us. You know, what, what this psalmist does is he actually goes back and he retells the story of the Exodus, of the time when God set the whole nation of Israel free from Egyptian oppression. And he, he retells that story as a way of encouraging his heart that God is actually on the throne, that God is all-powerful, that regardless of how he feels in the moment, God is this God of salvation, of redemption, of grace, of awesomeness, of goodness, that he's in charge, right? And that's what God wants for you and I to do. And I believe the lesson to be learned here is that a lot of times we allow a story in our mind that is, that is a story that leads us to self-pity. You know, so to go back to some of the questions we, we talked about earlier, maybe um, what we think about often is, you know, so-and-so has more money or they're more successful or they have a better ministry or they have a better car, or they have a better marriage or whatever it is, and we compare or we, we feel bad about our situation and, and what I want to encourage you to do is even if those things are, I'm not saying fake it and pretend it's not real, but do what this, this psalmist is teaching us is like shift your focus. Don't stop meditating. Don't stop pondering. Don't stop considering, but start meditating and pondering and thinking and considering about the things of God, about how awesome he is, about some of the things that he's done in your life already. It's vital for us to be able to do that. Last night, um, I'm mentioning Malachi a couple times, but I was, we were driving, and uh, this song, my phone was on shuffle, and this song came on um, by a guy named Sean Foyt, and uh, he's a worship leader down in the States, and um, he's a pretty controversial figure right now, 
uh, and uh, a lot of people disagree with some of his methods, but um, basically what he's been doing since 2020 is he's been traveling all over America and holding revivals. So in the middle of like shutdowns, they're, they're holding these revivals and they're declaring Jesus really is the truth. And so this song comes on, and I, I didn't have it on a playlist, it just came on, and in one of his songs, his 10-year-old daughter um, is, is on the recording, and he invites her out on stage, and her name is Katura. Um, and she, she gets on the stage and she starts to pray for revival amongst her generation. And she's like, she's praying this powerful prayer like, God, in the middle of all this craziness, in the middle of these um, insane times where people are divided and there's depression, like, like do a revival, do, do your work. And Malachi asked me, he's like, What's, what does revival mean? And I started to tell him about what a revival actually means. Like, and, and I don't know if you've ever studied revivals or if you know what happens when God moves in power. Um, but when God moves in power in cities or in countries, there's like thousands of people that come to Jesus at a time, sometimes millions of people that come to know Christ. My, my whole life, like I've just, I have longed to see that kind of thing happen in Canada. Like I just have this desire to see God move in power in our country. You know, the, if you look at the, the depression rates, the suicide rates, the overdose rates, the marriages that are falling apart, all of the things that are going on in our country, like, I, I, don't know, I don't think there's another answer other than Jesus Christ doing his work in our midst, in our country. I really don't. I don't, I don't believe there's a, a government solution. I don't believe that if people come together with all the best ideas that, that it's going to fix and solve what's going on. What, what's going to solve what's happening in our country is if God just moves in power. And the only way that can happen is if it's an act of God. It's not something that we can fabricate or we can make happen. I believe we can pray for it and long for it. But as I was telling Malachi these these stories of revivals, like something encouraged my heart where I was like, man, like I actually believe God could do something significant like that. And you know, it does something and it's in line. I was getting ready to preach this sermon. So we're driving there and I'm getting ready to preach this sermon. And I was like, and I could feel the difference in my heart when I started thinking and remembering about all the things that I've seen God do. You know, I've, I've studied uh, the stories of missionaries that have gone into places where there's just absolutely looks like there's no hope. And, and God does this incredible, miraculous work amongst a group of people that have never heard of him. And, and I've, I've read those stories, and I've read stories of revivals. And when I started talking about it, about the things that God has done, this, like, hope was filling my heart. And I felt like this psalmist from Psalm 77 where I was like, my heart was being encouraged because I was thinking about the awesome power of God. And I just want to encourage you, I believe that's what God is calling for us to do. We could focus on things that are true, but that are discouraging. We could focus on things that, that are true, but aren't helpful for what God wants to do inside of our hearts. Or we could say, okay, I'll acknowledge that stuff, I'll talk about it, I'll be real about it, but I'm going to focus on this awesome God that we serve, this living God who wants to do a work in my personal life, but also in the world around me. I'll tell you one more story, um, and this, this was something that I had planned to say, the thing last night, I just think God just was stirring some stuff in my heart, um, but I had to <clears throat> write a paper recently for one of my classes, and so if you don't know, I'm doing my, my MDiv online, and uh, I wrote a paper about the state of the church in Canada, and, uh, I'm, and if you know me, I'm typically a pretty positive person. Um, I, I choose to be a very positive and optimistic person. Um, you may not know that sometimes <clears throat> I wrestle inwardly um, with things that are going on around me <clears throat> and situations that um, seem like they're beyond our control or feel hopeless. And so I chose to write this paper about the state of the church in Canada 
um, from a negative perspective. Okay? So um, it ended up being a really long paper, but in this paper, I actually uh, I looked at history over the last 2,000 years, and I looked at all of the horrible things the church has done in 2,000 years. Not all of. That would take a lifetime. <laughs> um, but I looked at the ways like that the church has abused power. I looked at some of the things that the church has been involved in that I, I know God hated, um, but has also given the church a bad name in Canada. There's, there's lots of those there's lots of those stories. You know, if you want to be discouraged, I can, I can send you the paper, okay? Um, but anyway, I sent this paper um, to a mentor of mine, somebody who I believe has a, a hand on the pulse more than I do um, in Canada. And uh, he actually challenged me. He said, you know what, Nathan? He's like, that paper you wrote, um, I think if you were to send that to any of the uh, <clears throat> universities of Canada, the non-Christian ones, they'd be happy with how you told Christian history. Like, they'd be like, yeah, he, he understands that the church has done bad things, and that's why it's losing prominence. And he really pushed back. He really challenged me, which I appreciated. And what he was saying was, you know, a lot of what you pointed to, like, it's true. Those things have happened. And, and we need to own that. As churches, when we've hurt people, we need to own it. I don't believe we ever sweep abuse under the rug. We never sweep, um, when the church has done racist things, we never sweep it under the rug. We, we acknowledge it. We face it head on. But what he was challenging with, he said, like, the way that you're telling that history, it almost makes it seem like, well, we should just pull back and, and we've failed, so let's do nothing. And the challenge he gave me was, let's focus on this awesome creator God that we serve, whose desire is to restore people, to restore situations, to restore marriages, uh, to restore people that at one time hated each other because they had animosity towards each other. We serve this God who's done that countless times in the history, and he was like, so what like, why are you focusing only on those things? Like, he, he was challenging me, saying, I believe God wants us to, to move in power and to see him do incredible things in our country. And so he was challenging me with what I'm challenging you with from Psalm chapter 77, which is like to, to take your mind and intentionally focus it on the stories of God. Like, what is the story that you tell yourself in your mind and in your head and in your heart? Is it a story that leads to self-pity, to frustration, to anger? Or is it a story that leads you not towards self-confidence, but towards confidence in God? I, I just, I, as a reminder, I just want to say, like, whenever I preach a sermon like this, this isn't like a self-help or motivate you to be a better person. I don't believe we can accomplish uh, a Jesus-focused life in our own strength. The scriptures tell us it is only when we're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't believe we can accomplish seeing God do amazing things in the city of Thunder Bay if we all just start being really nice people. It's if God moves, right? And I do believe God has called us to prayer. I believe he's called us to call out to him and to respond to what he's saying. Um, but we're putting our trust and our faith in an, an all-powerful creator God. And what is the story that you choose to think about and meditate on and ponder? Are the things that you think about, meditate on, ponder, consider... Do they lead to, to self-pity and frustration and just feeling hopeless? Or does it lead to trust? Does it lead to being courageous and bold in what God is calling uh, for you to be? I'm going to invite the team up, and uh, we're going to close with a couple songs. And I just want to close with this illustration. I used it last week, um, but it's worth sharing again. Corey Tenboom, um, her challenge was, uh, are you a thermometer or are you a thermostat? 
You know, a thermometer can tell you the temperature in the room, but a thermostat changes it. And I believe what God has called us as a church to be is a, is a thermostat, that we see the things that are going on around us, and because we serve an all-powerful God, we can actually be a part of changing the temperature, changing what happens. Uh, when you leave every week and you go down those stairs, there's a verse, Romans 12, 2, that I hope you see. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the essence of what I'm talking about today is that as you say yes to Jesus, as you say, Lord, I am going to focus my thoughts on you and on what you're doing and what you want to do, um, you actually will experience transformation. Being transformed is something God does to us as we allow him to do it. And, and what it means is choosing intentionally to think about things that are true and peaceful and noble and pure, things of God. Um, let's just stand and we're gonna, we'll close with these last couple songs. And if the Lord's doing anything in your heart and you just want to spend some time in prayer, um, the altar's always open if you want to come and pray here or pray from your seat uh, or pray for, from your, your living room or wherever you're tuning in from. Um, let's pray uh, together. Lord, I just want to, I want to thank you for your word. Um, Lord, it is challenging to think about how we can be people who actually carry out your will. It's challenging to, to think that we could be people who uh, aren't just uh, positive or, or optimistic, but we think about who you are, and it leads us to be people who speak truth and hope and, and are positive because of our experience and our encounter with you. And Lord, I just pray that for each of us, those that are tuning in and, and those that are here in the room, that you would help us to be the kind of people that actually just trust you wholeheartedly. And Lord, for those of us that have lots of reasons to give into self-pity and lots of things that maybe are true, we could point to our life and feel bad about, help us to focus, Lord, uh, on, on the things about you that are true and the things about what you want to do in our lives and in our, our churches and in our cities and our communities. Lord, help us to focus on who you are and what your will is for us. Jesus, you taught us to pray. Um, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And we do pray that, Lord, that your will would be done. And may you start with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.